Thank you, Drew. I'm always appreciative of the volunteers we have uh, who step in and who lead and who help us. Uh, during summer, you got to know, for the volunteers on stage, it's a challenging time of the year. You know, half the, the team are away on vacation. Uh, for two weeks, Hannah takes half the team off out to uh, Nelson. And, and then we really are in challenging places. Uh, some weeks, they don't even get to practice properly. And so, you know, they come and serve. And sometimes we don't know all that takes place behind the scenes. So I am truly thankful for the volunteers that we have who serve. Um, yes, I think give them, an, uh, give them an applause. Absolutely. And it's not just the four upstage. There's the team at the back, and, and there are a whole bunch every week. It's different people. Uh, I want to echo Drew and Hannah's welcome to all of you this morning. It's great to see you, uh, to you guys online. Of course, yes, we can't see you, um, but we know you're there. Uh, and it's not just my parents who are watching internationally. I know everyone kind of thinks we do the live streaming just so that my folks can watch me in action. No, not at all. Uh, we really have people all over the show. Uh, and one of our newer uh, kind of attendees this morning reminded me or said that her parents are watching from Neisner, which is also in South Africa. So hello. Uh, we're glad you're here with us this morning. You know, when I was a, a young boy in school, I played cricket and rugby. Those were the school sports, and those were the only sports I ever played. In fact, I was pretty convinced cricket and rugby were the only sports that existed. Imagine my surprise when discovering that is not the case. So a couple of seasons ago, I was invited uh, to help coach at Coastal FC for the soccer teams for, for my son's soccer team. Now, you've got to understand the challenge of taking rugby and cricket, uh, where you, know, you, you can touch the ball with your hands, uh, and you can, you can literally tackle a player. Apparently, you can't do that in soccer. Uh, you, you're not allowed to pick up the ball, and you're not allowed to tackle players. So you can imagine my challenge in how on earth am I supposed to coach a bunch of young boys on how to play the sport that I've never played in my entire life. Well, thankfully, Coastal FC understands this. And they understand the need for volunteer parents to step in and to help out. And so they've produced a coaching manual. And I thank the Lord that I had this manual that I could go through because the manual includes all the drills, all the skills, uh, all the things that the youngsters need to know as they progress in the game, as they develop. And so they give you this manual and, and the expectation is you will slowly work your way through it, hoping that by the end of the season, the kids would have progressed. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about the, or, or this refrain, I should say, that was repeated over and over throughout the manual was just this simple little sentence that simply said, tell me, show me, let me. Tell me, show me, let me. And the point of it, as they explained it, was first tell the kids what you want them to do. And once you've told them what to do, then show them what to do, which was always entertaining when I tried, but at least show them. And then once you've shown them, let them do it as well. Tell me, show me, let me. And you know, when I read that line, I kind of went, 
there's a sermon illustration right there. Because that's what Jesus does with us. You know, when it comes to this topic of prayer, when it comes to this topic of communicating with God, of simply entering into conversation with God, that's exactly what Jesus does. He tells us to pray. And then He shows us how to pray. And then He lets us pray. And if you're joining with us for the first time this morning, over the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of looking at this journey of this invitation from our Heavenly Father to simply talk with God. God invites us. He invites and says, let's talk. Let's communicate. Let's connect. I have so much I want to say to you, and I want to hear you pour out your heart, so let's talk. And as we've been going through this journey of discussion and conversation with our Heavenly Father, we've been learning from the prayers of Jesus, as Jesus models for us how to do this. You know, last week I quoted from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6. And Matthew 6 verse 6 simply says, When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And of course, I kind of go, okay, what's Jesus doing there? Well, Jesus is telling us. Jesus is telling us what to do. And then later on in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we read, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. What's Jesus doing there? He's showing us. So he's told us how to pray, and now he's shown us how to pray. And in fact, elsewhere in the Gospels, he invites the disciples to join and to pray, and he lets them do it. So this morning, I want to encourage us, let's continue to learn from Jesus. For Jesus was clearly a man of prayer. In fact, it could be argued that Jesus really did very little without praying, without first communicating with his heavenly Father. And he invites us to imitate him. And he invites us into that same place to simply talk with God. We've read the Lord's Prayer a couple of times this morning. We read that in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 to 4. In Luke 11, verse 1 to 4, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now we know that as the Lord's Prayer. It's echoed for us in Matthew chapter 6. Immediately after Jesus says, go into your room, close the door and pray. Jesus gives this model prayer. In Matthew 6 verse 9 to 13, he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
You know, this morning, as we contemplate the Lord's Prayer, I have a couple of thoughts through those different petitions within the Lord's Prayer. Now, I realize I could preach an individual sermon on every line in the Lord's Prayer, and that's been done numerous times and in numerous places. I know that this morning, as I say the Lord's Prayer, some of you are going, Brian, I've I've heard the Lord's Prayer. I've heard sermons on the Lord's Prayer. I've prayed the Lord's Prayer. I, I invite you this morning, don't switch off. Don't think to yourself, I've heard this, I know this, I'm good to go. My prayer for you this morning is in that place of knowing something, in that place of having done and said and heard the Lord's Prayer so many times, I pray that the Holy Spirit will stir within you, not some sense of familiarity where we can ignore it, but some sense of wonder and joy and excitement at the fact that Jesus invites us to imitate him and to pray in this way, to pray to our Heavenly Father. You know, when I look at the the Lord's Prayer, it, it just blows my mind because Jesus offers this prayer. It covers so much in so few words. If only your preacher could learn that. I'll let that penny drop. It covers so much in so few words. It's wonderfully profound in the spectrum of truth that it covers, yet it is truly beautiful in its simplicity. You know, it's hard to overstate the impact of the Lord's Prayer within the church and in the life and the history of the church. Up until the 5th century, many or most Christian churches incorporated the Lord's Prayer into their liturgy almost word for word. In fact, the a late first century document, the Didache, Didache, sorry, uh, the teaching of the 12 apostles, we find that Lord's Prayer as an instruction for the churches. In fact, that document instructed Christians to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. And that prayer was meant for church members. It was meant for Christians. Within that instruction, it actually includes that the lips of the ungodly should not utter this prayer. That's how important it was to the church. So this morning, let's contemplate the the lines of the prayer. You know, Jesus begins, before even making any petitions, before asking anything, Jesus begins by acknowledging our Father in heaven. You know, often when we read this prayer, we might just gloss over that. We're so used to this term, Heavenly Father, that we say it without pausing and thinking, the truth of our heavenly Father. You know, that word heavenly, it draws to mind that God is transcendent. He is above all things. Yet it's joined with the word Father. And it assures us of His imminence, that He is imminently available to us. When we look at the faiths of the world, when we journey through history, we see that Christianity maintains this balance. This idea that God is separate, but yet not distant. God is incomprehensible, but yet attainable. Other faiths either declare that God or the gods are far off. They're uninvolved in human affairs. They they have no care or concern about what takes place in our lives. While others might point to the gods as being these capricious kind of malevolent beings, 
who are inconsistent and, and one day in their joy or happiness they might bless and the next day just because they're feeling that way they curse. This is not our God. God, our Heavenly Father, is holy and holy other, yet He is right here with us. And so Jesus sets before us this example of reverence as we approach our Heavenly Father. You know, I saw a t-shirt many years ago that said, Jesus is my homeboy. And, and, and I, you know, I get it. I understand that, yes, Jesus is kind of our friend. That's what Scripture says. But when Jesus teaches us how to come before our Father, God isn't just some, you know, sugar daddy in the sky who's going to give me what I want. We don't just approach God flippantly as our buddy. No, we approach Him with reverence. And in that reverence, we approach Him with intimacy and confidence because He is our Heavenly Father. And so Jesus begins, our Father. And Jesus continues by saying, hallowed be your name. And this first petition in the prayer, Jesus shows his longing for God's name to be magnified and held in honor in the world and in those with whom he will interact. That petition essentially craves that the Father's name be sanctified, set apart as holy as it truly is. Now, we might think, okay, Jesus just means don't take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, you know, that's one of the commandments. So just uh, don't blaspheme. And yes, indeed, there is a bit of an overlap with that, that admonition. But that's not what Jesus is getting at in the text here. The one who wants God's name to be hallowed wants holiness for himself as well. And Jesus pursued both of these in thought, word, and deed throughout his life on earth. In John 7, 18, for example, Jesus affirms that he doesn't speak on his own authority. He speaks on his Father's authority. And in this way, he seeks not his own, but his Father's glory. And so at the end of his life, when Jesus prays that high priestly prayer in John 17, Christ draws attention to the honor he had. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And then after says, now glorify me. Now, we, we mustn't miss how crucial it was that our Lord brought perfectly, uh, brought God's honor or honor to God's name and paved the way for us to do the same Apart from Christ uttering these words before the Father and then living a life consistent with those words, we would have no hope of bringing glory to God ourselves. We bring glory through Christ. And this should be our prayer. Hallowed be your name in everything and anything that I do in every place and everywhere I find myself. This is what the Apostle Paul echoes to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. When I pray, hallowed be your name, it's not just something I'm giving lip service to. It's a petition to say, God, help me to live in such a way that I bring glory to you. Hallowed be your name. But Jesus goes on. In his second petition, he says, Your kingdom come. 
Yo, Jesus taught us that he came to defeat the works of the enemy. This is what John writes about in 1 John, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And we caught a number of previews to that. For example, Jesus' temptation when the devil comes to him and tempts him. And we see it all the way through to that grand finale whereby Christ conquers Satan at Calvary. At the cross, the Son of God crushed the head of the serpent who held the power of death. And so Christ comes victoriously. And Christ raises again to swallow up death. And this provides a way for all people, for, as the Scriptures say, for Jews and Gentiles. And that's the expression of for all people to be brought into the kingdom of God through the victory of Christ. And so Jesus, as He prays for the advancement of God's kingdom, He shows I, He's already been advancing it. He alone understood what was required for the progress of God's kingdom on earth. And at that point, it was His death. Con conquest came by this king, not by subduing, but by suffering. Jesus' life was a perpetual Gethsemane. And He continually faced the reality of His unjustly violent, utterly shameful, and bitterly lonesome death. And Jesus calls us, to imitate him. And you kind of go, well, what do you mean by that? Brian, surely we can't die for the sins of the world. Absolutely not. That's been done through Jesus Christ. But Jesus does invite his disciples to daily lay down their lives and take up their cross and follow him. I heard it once said that before I can pray, your kingdom come, I have to be willing to let my kingdom go. This is what Jesus is doing here. He's reminding us that as disciples, we die to self. For we are not the kings and queens of our little kingdoms. God alone is. And so I pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. And as I pray, let your kingdom come, it just naturally flows into the third petition. Your will be done. They go together. Following your kingdom come, it's part of the very next line. God, that as your kingdom comes, now let your will be done. Over and over, Jesus made it known that he didn't come to earth to do his own will, but to do what the Father had sent him to do. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. In John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, He only does what His Father does. And our Lord, by virtue of the covenant He made with the Father concerning the salvation of, of those who would come to Him, fulfilled the will of God by keeping both the law of the Old Testament ceremonial and moral aspects. And at, at the same time, He completed the law by observing those positive laws contain, pertaining to His office as prophet, priest, and king. And you go, Brent, what are positive laws? Well, I mean, not the... Negative laws, those traditions of men, because there were some that Jesus spoke against. But of course, Jesus did the will of the Father by obeying the commandments and by obeying His Father. And the greatest picture we see of that is in Matthew chapter 26. 
as Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he knows that the cross is ahead of him. And he prays over and over, God, that you would take, Father, take this cup away from me. Yet not my will, your will be done. Jesus understood that as much as that flesh wanted to avoid the painful death on the cross, Jesus wasn't there for his own will. He prayed, God, your will be done. And then Jesus moves on. Not only that your will would be done, Jesus gives us an example of how to pray for ourselves. You know, those first few lines, the first few petitions relate to God, to God's glory, to God's kingdom, and to God's will. And sometimes we get to that point where we think, well, are we able to come before God and ask for the simple requests that we have in life? Jesus says, yes. Jesus models that. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm always amazed at how Jesus gave thanks in all circumstances. Perhaps that's why Paul later exhorts the church to do that. What makes this even more remarkable is the fact that Jesus upholds all things. Jesus sustains all things. Jesus created all things and knew that all things weren't only made by him, but for him. Yet he gives thanks and he prays for his daily bread to his heavenly father. You know, the corporate nature of the Lord's Prayer is well known. Even by the plain reading of it, we see the corporate nature. Our Father, give us. In John 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 through the miracle that he performed. But as he performs that miracle, he first gives thanks to God. And perhaps just as significantly for our Lord and later in his ministry, he gives thanks during the Lord's Supper, or what we call the Lord's Supper. As he shares that final meal with his disciples, we read in Luke 22, twice over that, Jesus takes bread and he gives thanks. And he says, this is my body given for you. Later on, he takes the cup and he gives thanks. It blows me away that even in an awareness of what was coming, Jesus gave thanks to God. Because Jesus understood that everything he has comes from the Father. And Jesus teaches us that we give thanks in all circumstances. We give thanks for all things. And, and I mentioned that a few weeks ago. And, and, and I know it's difficult for us because we kind of go, well, Brian, what about those difficult things we go through? What about those challenging times? What about illness or, or painful experiences? Are we truly supposed to give thanks in that? Yes, that's what the Scripture calls us to. That's what Jesus says. We might not understand. We might not fully know. But we learn to give thanks. Because God is our Father. And He provides for us and He invites us to simply trust Him. And so Jesus says, let us learn to pray and let us ask for our daily bread. But let us do so with thanks. And then Jesus goes on with the fifth petition and he says, Forgive us our debts. Now, now this one's kind of one of those interesting ones. People often say, Well, why on earth did Jesus pray, Forgive us our debts? I mean, Jesus never sinned. We know that from Scripture. Jesus never sinned. Well, exactly. 
But Jesus came as a representative for all humanity. Just like Adam's actions were representative of all humanity and, and the consequences affected all humanity, so Christ would represent us. And so as Jesus' ministry begins, he goes through the water of baptism. And again, it's a, a baptism of repentance. And we might say, what was Jesus repenting of? Well, nothing, for he lived a sinless life. But he prayed for us. And he invites us to pray corporately as well. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts. But not only forgive us, help us forgive others. And isn't that where, where the rub hits? Isn't that the more difficult of that line? Oh, it's so easy for us to pray, Jesus, forgive me. God, forgive me. But yet in the same breath, Jesus says, God, forgive as I forgive, as we forgive. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And Jesus teaches us to do this. And then he finishes off in the sixth petition, and lead us not into temptation. And Jesus again is not only praying for himself, he's praying for us. We understand from Scripture that Jesus was tempted in every way. And of course, Jesus was tempted in every way because Satan needed Jesus to fail. If Jesus failed at even one thing, if he gave in to even one temptation, if he sinned in even one way, he would not be the perfect spotless lamb. He would not be able to take away the sins of the world. And so Satan came at Jesus all the time, tempting him, tempting him for the easy way out, tempting him with glory from other people. You know, when we read through the Gospels and we see the prayer life of Jesus, oftentimes Jesus prays before going into a public setting. And I'm convinced he would have prayed this over and over. Father, let me not be tempted by what I might receive. Let me not be tempted by that glory. Let me not be tempted by the accolades and affirmation of humanity. I'm here to do your will. And Jesus invites us and encourages us to do the same, to pray, God, let me not be tempted. Let me give in to temptation, but to simply trust you and respond to you, to allow you, God, to lead me. Elsewhere in Scripture, we read that there's always a way out of temptation, you know, as temptation comes our way, regardless of what it is, there's always a way out. And in those moments, we pray, God, by your Spirit, help me not to yield to temptation, but to get out. And Jesus prepared to be the perfect Savior through the continual, faithful, ordered prayer life that he had, always reflecting these petitions of the Lord's Prayer. As he daily prayed to his Father in heaven, and that those various petitions would all eventually converge in that momentous way as Christ goes to the cross in the Passion. And as we read that Passion narrative, as we read the experience from Christ's arrest through to his crucifixion, we see elements of the Lord's Prayer throughout. 
Elements that allow us now to come to our Heavenly Father. So what do we do with the Lord's Prayer? Is the Lord's Prayer given to us so that like the early church, we can simply repeat it by rote memorization three times a day? Or is the Lord's Prayer given to us as a principle to guide our prayer life? And the answer is simple. The answer is yes. It's given to us as both. I have no doubt that as Jesus shared that Lord's Prayer, I don't think Jesus was standing in a classroom situation teaching. I don't think Jesus pulled out a a whiteboard and, and started jotting down the different points. I think Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer as an example. And I think Jesus genuinely prayed that prayer. And Jesus invites us, yes, to pray the Lord's Prayer. When we don't know what else to pray, this is the prayer we pray. But I think also at the same time, there are times where we should and we must use the Lord's Prayer to guide our prayers in our own words. As we pray for God's kingdom to come, that might look very different to, for various people. Some of us might pray, Lord, let your kingdom come by helping me share the love of Christ with my neighbor. Others might pray, Lord, let your will be done instead of mine as I work in this office space, as I serve my community. And so we use those petitions, we use those lines to guide our own prayers, putting our words, pouring our desire, pouring our hearts and needs in those moments. And so as you go into whatever place you find yourself this coming week, this is the invitation to enter into conversation with your Heavenly Father and to pray the Lord's Prayer as you cry out, Abba, Father. Let's pray together. Jesus, I marvel at the fact that You prayed so regularly. You prayed habitually. You you prayed as was your custom. And those who followed you, your disciples and, and those around could not help but notice your prayer life. And so Jesus, it's only logical, it's only natural that your disciples would say, teach us to pray. And that's what we ask as well. Jesus, teach us to pray. I thank you that you have told us what to do. You've shown us how to do it. And now you let us do it. I pray, God, that each one of us would enter into conversation with our Heavenly Father in deliberate moments where we go into our rooms, so to speak, we close the door to remove distractions and we simply talk with you in private. And for those of us who do not have the words and don't know what to say, Jesus, remind us that you've given us the prayer. Help us to pray your prayer. Not by simply parroting it off, but by praying it from the heart. 
And then Jesus, as we pray it, I ask, let your Holy Spirit guide us into pouring out our heart before you. Indeed, may we declare your name hallowed and glorified. May we long to see your kingdom come as we let go of our own kingdoms. May we yield to your will being done and not our own. Knowing that as we do that, that gospel message is proclaimed and shared throughout the world. But God, we still have needs, concerns, cares. We still have sins that need to be confessed. And we still have those who have sinned against us whom we need to learn to forgive. Father, help us to simply talk. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.